relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Going deeper on the big issues that matter to you. This is your exclusive podcast, America First, one-on-one, with me, Sebastian Gorka, former strategist to President Donald J. Trump. There truly is no better guest for us to talk to in this special America First one-on-one than an individual I consider to be a good friend, a great American patriot, The word I think that best describes him is warrior. This is a man who was one of the founding members of Delta Force. He was involved in the abortive rescue attempt of our hostages in Iran, 36 years in the military, rising to the rank or to the position, rather, of Deputy Undersecretary for, uh, for Defense Intelligence in the Pentagon, former commander of the Green Berets and of an institution very close to my heart, JFK Kennedy School at Fort Bragg. He is now the Executive Vice President of the Family Research Council, General Jerry Boykin. Welcome to America First One-on-One. It's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Let's jump straight in. Uh, We have this cut from June from the man who currently bears the title of President of the United States, talking, prognosticating about the future of Afghanistan and Kabul. Play cuts. Started off, there were going to be negotiations between the Taliban and the Afghan National Security Forces and the Afghan government. That, that didn't, come to, didn't come to fruition. So the question now is, where do they go from here? That, the jury is still out. But the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Highly unlikely, but it occurred in less than two weeks. Uh, General Boykin, let's just have you give us your assessments of how this could have happened and how serious uh, a, an amount of damage, injury, is, has it done to America's reputation? Yeah, thanks. Uh, You know, what we're seeing right here is probably the biggest uh, disaster that I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, What we're seeing is a situation developing where we're going to leave thousands of Americans in the hands of the Taliban. They're going to be, they're literally going to be hostages of the Taliban. And when you don't know how many Americans are in the country, uh, yet you say that they're being not being impeded in getting to the airport, then you have to ask the question, why are they not at the airport? Why are they not at the airport? And when you don't know how many Americans are there and you say no Americans have been killed, how do you know that? I don't know that. You, you, you have no way of knowing. So what I think has happened here, Seb, is we have a commander-in-chief who is uh, being advised by the wrong people. Uh, and I must tell you that uh, starting with the State Department and sadly, even the Defense Department, where you have a, a, uh, 
a pair that should be advising the president not to close down the most functional and, and useful airfield in Afghanistan, that being Bagram. And, uh, and, and they're advising him not to, but they don't have the uh, influence with this president. Consequently, what we have here is one of the biggest messes that we've ever had in this type of situation. And I must tell you that the people that are advising the president, that advised him and got us into this situation, are people that have not one moment on the ground that are focused on a, uh, a, a an agenda that I believe is, is a Marxist agenda. And this kind of thing, they are not suited for giving this president advice. And now we're paying for uh, exactly what, uh, what we are should have expected from people like his Secretary of State, his National Security Advisor, and now, sadly, even his Chairman of the Joint Chiefs and his Secretary of Defense, both of who are very concerned about having a woke military, that when it comes to uh, advising him on how to get thousands of Americans and, and our allies, the Afghanis, out of Afghanistan, uh, they have no influence with this president, and I am uh, I'm, I'm personally embarrassed by what's going on, and I'm personally concerned about the second, third, fourth order effects of this. And Sebastian, as you well know, when our allies, our NATO allies start criticizing our president, I mean going after our president, criticizing him, uh, that says a lot about the future of our relations with allies all over the world. Yes, indeed it does. Uh, you mentioned the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. You mentioned Antony uh, Blinken, the Secretary of State. How significant is it, General Boykin, that both of these individuals were deputies to Susan Rice? Uh, Susan Rice, who, of course, is making the decisions behind closed doors in the White House and who, of course, was the key architect of the debacle that was the attempt to cover up Benghazi. Is any of this a coincidence, and how much more serious is this than the already egregious scandal that was Benghazi, General Boykin? Yeah, you go back and look at, uh, at just what you just talked about, trying to cover up this debacle in Benghazi and lying on uh, news programs, uh, you know, multiple times on a Sunday news programs, and, uh, and and then you ask yourself, why is she in the administration at all? Well. I'm going to throw something out here, and you may get a lot of feedback on this, and it could be negative, it could be positive. But when President Obama left the White House, he started this thing called Organizing for Action. All right? So what does that mean? Well, they had four years to put together their agenda uh, during the Trump administration. And I think what you're seeing right now was Susan Rice probably being one of the most influential people in this administration. I think what you're seeing is you're seeing that agenda being played out. And it is a Marxist agenda. Make no mistake about it. And right now, uh, I think that what she is doing is uh, advising the president uh, in such a way that uh, he has made some really bad judgments and some bad decisions. And here we are. Uh, we've given our adversaries, China, Russia, Iran, a window of opportunity. They see vulnerability in America right now. And we've given them a window of opportunity for them to do what they want to do. And I, I 
you know, you have to ask the question, what would this administration do if China was to invade Taiwan right now? Right now, we've had contingency plans for decades to respond to that. Would we respond to that? Would we get into a shooting war with China over that? And how about the, the, the Russians? What about uh, Belarus and Ukraine? They see weakness. And I think that they don't believe for a moment that we would respond with anything more than uh, a, a, an outcry at the United Nations and maybe sanctions. But I don't think that they see us as being a, a uh, military um, superpower any longer simply because we don't have the will to use the power that we do have. Well, with, with your legendary career in the special operations and special forces community, I have to ask you to react. Uh, this week, it was Tuesday, the chairman of the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee of the House, a man who's usually understated, uh, Senate, uh, Congressman Mike McCall, after a closed-room intelligence briefing from the DOD, from the intelligence community, he said, there is no way, according to the current plan, that we can get all our hostages out by the deadline that Biden has acquiesced to, and as a result, there will be blood on the president's hands. Uh, Given your experience with the Iranian hostage situation, your 36 years in the military, in the DOD, does that sound like hyperbole and exaggeration to you? No, in fact, uh, look at McCall. McCall has not, I, I've never seen McCall so fired up, so uh, so passionate uh, as he was when he made that statement. And I I think that McCall represents the, the feelings of an awful lot of members of Congress there that haven't had uh, an opportunity to express it like he did. But uh, listen, I want to think about this. Um In 1993, we we, we fought an 18-hour battle in the streets of Mogadishu, Somalia. It was called Black Hawk Down. 18 hours. Do you know what we were fighting over? Most Americans don't. We were fighting over the bodies of two of our comrades. And not a single man, Delta Force, Ranger, or Air Force combat controllers, or not a single man was willing to leave that city until we had those two bodies. Now, that's an ethos, not just for the military. It's a national ethos. In 1863, William Tecumseh Sherman, when he came out of Tennessee, he wrote a letter to uh, to the president. And he said, I knew wherever I was that you thought of me. And if I got in a tight spot, you would come if alive. That's a national ethos. And I say the president, it was actually uh, the future president, I should say, as it was Ulysses S. Grant that he was writing to. Nevertheless, that is an ethos. And we're about to violate that. And we have a president that I think does not understand that ethos. I don't think that he, this is part of his agenda. I think he is in this thing, and now he is so far into it He cannot get out of it. He should have made the decision right up front to tell the Taliban, we are staying until we get our people back. And we're not moving. And you can help us or you can impede us. And if you impede us, you will pay a price for it. But if you you do not impede us, we'll turn this country over to you when we leave here. 
It's too late to do that now because we have no credibility. General Boykin, you've made it clear who you think is in charge. I, I concur that it's uh, Susan Rice who hadn't had no uh, requirement to be uh, confirmed by the Senate, that these are people driven by a hatred of America and a neo-Marxist ideology. Let's stay in the lane of national security for a second, because I think there's not just the ideological impact, there's also the arrogance and the ignorance mixed in. When you have the man who receives the presidential presidential daily intelligence briefing, who has the biggest intelligence apparatus in the world serving him, when he goes in front of a podium at the White House and Joe Biden says, it's okay, we're we're leaving on the 31st, but we will have over-the-horizon capabilities, there is no such thing as over-the-horizon capabilities when you have no airstrips in theater. When you close down Bagram, you close down the KIA. When Pakistan, where none of the stands give us access, you can't fly a UAV from Nevada to, to Herat province in Afghanistan. How does a president make such an egregiously incorrect statement? Is, is it just rank ignorance or is it, is it just propaganda? What, what is your sense, given your, your history? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a, that's a great question. And, and when the president of the United States gets up and puts out false information like that, knowing that he's going to be questioned, He's going to he or somebody in his administration is going to be questioned about what is that over the horizon capability. First of all, there are no countries, there are no countries that border Afghanistan that you're going to be able to put anything in in terms of an over the horizon capability. Remember, we started out in Uzbekistan back in 2001, and ultimately the Russians raised so much cane about that we had to leave us Uzbekistan. So where are you going to where are you going to have an override over the horizon capability station? Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Pakistan, uh, Iran? No, the Russians have already told us that they don't want us in their backyard. They've already told our president that we will not be allowed to have uh, a, a reconnaissance operation operating from any of those Central Asian countries. Well, what do you think they would say when we tell them we want to put a reaction force there, a counter-terror force there? And we've already ceded, uh, I think, our moral authority to the Russians of all people in terms of being willing to do the right thing for American citizens and for the Afghanis that have fought with us and and many, uh, you know, have paid a dear price for yeah, it's truly stunning, truly, truly incredible to have that coming from the uh, the top of the administration. When you hear also that JSOC elements were on the ground, were in Kabul International Airport, and were not being allowed to leave the airport to rescue U.S. Uh, citizens, and the Secretary of Defense says that we may not be able to rescue all of those Americans what is your reaction, General Boykin? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, to me, I, it, it's a combination of of anger and disgust when I, I hear the president say, "We're leaving on the thirty first. Such a violation of, of of who we are as a nation. You know, you talked about the uh, Iran rescue effort. There were fifty two Americans that were being held in the. Uh, embassy there in Tehran and 
and they were taken in November of 1979, and in April of 1980, we went in and tried to rescue them. We were up against overwhelming odds. The chance that we were going to be able to pull this off was was better, was less than 50-50, but it was better than doing nothing. And I think even Jimmy Carter realized that. Jimmy Carter realized that, first of all, we had 52 American lives at stake. Secondly, we had American prestige and honor at stake. And even Jimmy Carter authorized that operation to go in there. Unfortunately, about 100 miles from Tehran, we had a uh, we had an accident in the desert with two airplanes, a helicopter and an airplane, and we were not able to get into Tehran and get our Americans. And I must tell you that I and all of the Delta Force men that were on the ground there that night, we carried a very very heavy burden uh, for a long long time until we came to the realization that what we did is we brought down a government, and it was our own government. We brought down the administration of Jimmy Carter. But what did that result in? It resulted in us electing a great man, and that was Ronald Reagan. And then as a result of that, uh, we started seeing some major changes in special operations, and that's how we got Special Operations Command as a result of that failure there. What is this failure going to do? What is this failure going to result in for America? You have to wonder if it's going to result in bringing down this administration, which I think it will. But more importantly, what's it going to do for us as long as we know that we've still got thousands of Americans in the hands of the Taliban? Are we going to launch an operation, try and go and get them? So far, the president has authorized three operations there in Afghanistan to go after Americans that were isolated. Good. Kudos. Now go out into the interior and get those Americans. You you got the Delta Force, you got SEAL Team 6, and you have the Marine Special Operations Command, all of which were designed for and are capable of rescuing hostages, and now is the time to put them all on the ground and use them to do just that. But don't leave these Americans behind. Is is there any of this, General Boykin, that can be laying at the feet of the, the wokeification of the U.S. military? How much do you think that plays into it, that a new Secretary of Defense, a chairman of the Joint Chiefs, talks about white rage and critical race theory as good things that need to be taught at West Point? Can that have an effect on our operational capability eventually? Yeah, where is their mind? Where is their priority? Let me tell you, I spent 36 and a half years in the military, and I don't know what white rage is. I've, ne- I've never seen white rage in the military, whatever that is, whatever, I, and I don't understand it. But the whole point is, where's, where are they? What are they thinking about? What are their priorities? Where are they putting their attention? And, and the, it appears that it is all about developing a woke military. And I got to tell you, I am so disgusted with this. And now, quite frankly, they're, they're going to force uh, the vaccinations on our military. And they're talking about it this week, forcing this on the military. Look, I'll tell you, I'm vaccinated. But the 
fact that you would force young men and women to take something that is so controversial, uh, I find that hard to believe. And let me tell you what that's going to result in. That's going to result in retention and recruiting problems. You're going to have people leaving the military. And I, let me tell you, I'm already talking to people that are telling me they are leaving the military now because of this focus on being a woke military. And it's sad to me, but there, and, and I, others, moms and dads, as I go around and speak at different events and all, they're just, they're saying to me, what do you think about my son being in the military? I'm just, and they go on and tell me how they're just really opposed to Johnny and Janie being in the military now. So it's going to result in uh, an impediment to recruiting, and you're going to have a lot of good people that you're not going to be able to retain when you stay focused on this kind of thing. And then when you throw in on top of that uh, mandatory shots uh, of, of such a nature as this, and i got to tell you, our military is in decline right now, and I'm very, very concerned about it. Let, let's continue the discussion of, of the wokeification of, of the U.S. military. Uh, what is your advice to those? We've had a very brave uh, commander, uh, Lieutenant Colonel from Space Force, um, talk about the effects of critical race theory, who's still serving. What is your advice to officers, to NCOs who want to push back? Should they, should they risk speaking out? Should they risk their military career? What do you say to those brave men and women who want to tell the truth about the, the ideological perversion of the greatest military the world has ever seen, General? Yeah, first of all, if you're, if you're a, a young enlisted man or, or even a senior enlisted man uh, or a young officer, what you need to do is you need to go and sit down with your chain of command and tell them how you feel about things. And, uh, and you won't be the only one if you, can, if, if you can get others within the same organization to uh, muster their courage and go and talk to the chain of command about it. Now, if you are a senior officer, there, there comes a time when you have to consider whether it's time for you to lay your stars on the table and, and, and make sure that the chain of command understands that you are not willing to continue serving and obeying the orders of the uh, commander-in-chief because you disagree with them, theologically, ideologically, or just for reasons that, uh, that maybe you're the only one that understands. But there's a time to lay your stars on the table and say, um, I can't do this anymore, and by the way, I am going to talk about this publicly. Lay your stars on the table and leave. You there remember is, back Jimmy go, Carter? Go ahead, General. Era. Yeah, you remember back in the Jimmy Carter era where the the uh, operations director in Korea for the United Nations Command there, but also for the U.S. forces there, was a World War II veteran, and uh, Jimmy Carter said, "We're pulling out of of Korea. We've been there a long time. We don't need to be there anymore." And 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 this two-star general said, I will not obey that order. I will leave the military, but I will not obey that order to remove all forces, all U.S. forces from Korea. Well, he got fired. He basically laid his stars on the table and left, but we're still in Korea, aren't we? Carter changed his mind, but it cost that guy uh, his career. 
Yeah. Look, there comes a time when you, you, you're going to have to do that kind of thing. And when you look at the situation that we're in today, I got to tell you, it, it is time for some of these generals, some of these upper level echelon generals to lay the stars on the table. Yep. Honor, honor is more important than uh, your career and your next promotion. Right. We're talking to the Family Research Council's Executive Vice President, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. He is the author of Man to Man. We will be discussing it momentarily. 36 years in the Army, especially with our special operations and special forces community. And uh, before we move to your book, there is uh, this function in the Army now of the red cell or the red team where you, you try and think like the enemy and try and predict uh, what they're going to do based upon their strategic culture. How does China, Russia, Iran, and now the Taliban look at America today in the last eight months? And they, what is their reaction to these recruiting ads with the, the corporal, with the quote-unquote two lesbian mothers? What does the enemy think of America now, General? Hmm. Yeah, uh for those people who have not seen what you were just talking about, these are recruiting ads for the U.S. Army. And uh, you, you really have to ask yourself, what are, the, what are the Russians thinking? Are they laughing at us? Well, no question they are. Are the Chinese laughing at us? No question they are. We, it's, it's almost as if we are deliberately reducing the effectiveness of our military. And then when you look at uh, not just the critical race theory and, and the, the wokeism, but when you look at the fact that the military is talking about hiring outside organizations to read your mail, to see what you're posting on social media so that they can determine whether you might be an extremist. Well, that, I can't believe that that could even be legal to begin with. To, to do that. But I also know that this critical race theory and all this wokeism is doing nothing but reducing our readiness because on the battlefield, there's nothing more important than cohesion. You can give them all of the best weapons, best technology available, and that gives them an edge. But on the battlefield, it's about cohesion. It's about being willing to risk your life for the man on your right and left. And that's exactly what, if you look at the medals of honor that have been given out, that's what, that's what they were for. Is guys risking their own life and in some cases giving their own lives for the man on their right and left. And you take these people in a classroom, you set them down, you divide them, and you say all of you on this side are oppressors and all of you on this side are the oppressed. Is that building unit cohesion? Is that building camaraderie or brotherhood? Fundamental element of being able to win on the battlefield? It is not. It is time that we get back to the notion that the only mission the Army has is to win wars. The only mission the military has is to win wars. And we need to focus on readiness to do that mission. And that's not where the heads of these senior officers are right now, particularly Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of Joint Chiefs. General, let us change topics, although I'm not sure it's a different topic. I think all of these are connected. 
especially when you look at the last year and a half of our nation and our civilizations, our Christian civilizations' response to the China virus, I've come to the conclusion that whatever the real issue is, whether it's national security, the border, Afghanistan, the response to COVID, the biggest challenge we have is just a lack of courage in general. You've written a book called Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World. Why did you have to write that book? You, you, you now moved from this sterling military career to being an ordained pastor, for being a, an executive vice president of the Family Research Council. Why is tackling the question of what it means to be a man so very, very crucial at the beginning of the 21st century? Yeah, you know, we... Uh what we see in our country today is an all-out assault on masculinity, and we were talking earlier about the uh, the recruiting ads. and And do you see anything there that uh, emphasizes masculinity? That emphasizes the need for masculinity no. to be in the military? Uh, you know, the Marines have probably done the best job uh, over the years of attracting uh, young men because. While everybody else was saying, you know, you can get an education and you can get this and that, Marines said you can get an opportunity basically to be a man. And uh, what we're doing today is uh, is so counter to uh, what we've done previously to build a robust military. There's always been a place for women in the military, and they play. They've served a a, a great function in the military, and we sh- we need them, but. We also need rough, tough, masculine men in our military, but we also need them in our society. And the reason I wrote this book was because as I look around and I see what's happening here uh, it, throughout America, and, and the men are, are going into their closet and hiding. They're, they're, they're not out here leading, which is what men are supposed to do. And, you know, Seb, when you, when you see a video of a, Asian woman being beaten out on the street and the security guard, a man, locks the door and stands on the inside and watches it instead of getting out there and trying to do something. That is an indication that we've got a problem in in this country in terms of men understanding their role. And that's because the feminist movement has had such an impact. And by the way, the feminist movement is also part of the Marxist movement in America. And if you go back to 1958 and read the book, The Naked Communist, that told us how they were going to take over America, what you'll see is they were going to go after masculinity. They were going to go after men. They were going to try to get them out of the home. And, uh, and what you see now is exactly what uh, they told us they were going to do. And I wrote the book because I want to give men another perspective of what their role is. I, I believe that we've got to have some real men and uh, they've got to start standing up and they've got to start playing the role that men were designed for. How much is that Marxist assault on masculinity uh, combined with the radical transgender agenda general and wrapped up all together in the, the, the assault on Christianity and, and the faith-based system that was so crucial to our founding. None of these can be separated from each other, can they? No, they can't. And you make an excellent point, Sebastian. If you go back and read 
the book, and I encourage it. It's, it's available again. It's written by a guy named Skousen, The Naked Communist. Read it. And what you're going to find out is they laid out a plan for how they would take over America, but a lot of it uh, dealt with families, and and the primary thing they were going after in families was the, was the men, the fathers. That's why we have so many absentee fathers in this country today. That's why we have so many single mothers in this country today is because they said to us they were going to get men hooked on pornography as a distraction that would ultimately result in divorce. And, and by the way, do you know that three out of every five divorces in America today uh, list pornography as one of the issues for the divorce? I didn't so they told us they were going to get them hooked on it. Then they were going to promote homosexuality and uh, and, and get men uh, to believe that this was a, a normal and healthy, is, was the term they used, uh, alternative to heterosexual behavior. Uh, and they told us that they were going to get men hooked on uh, gambling, for example, and hooked on other things. Well, men are hooked on uh, computer games today. So what they said they were going to do, if you read that book and you look at what they've done, their uh, objectives and their agenda is almost complete. General, I, I chose America. I'm a legal immigrant to this country. You were born here. And I have to ask you, are you shocked? Are you dismayed by how masculinity really collapsed in the last year and a half? How business owners said, okay, uh, you can close my business down and destroy my livelihood. How parents, fathers said, oh, uh, there's almost no vulnerability of, of children to COVID, but you can shut my children's school down. You can force me to mask them. Uh, wasn't it a surprise to you as well just how easily uh, the state took over without resistance from America's men? It, yes. It shocked me. And, and and don't think for one minute that there isn't a bigger agenda associated with all of this, because there is. And it is, ultimately, it is this Marxist agenda. And it is about big government. It's about really totalitarian central government. And uh, as you well know, uh, Sebastian, we have responded just about as poorly as we could have to this COVID situation when you allowed uh, certain activities, let's say bars and that type of thing, to stay open at the same time you're shutting down churches, at the same time you're restricting restaurants and, and businesses. Uh, and, and we just, we went along with it. And you have to ask yourself, what did, what are we thinking? What are we thinking? We should have the choice. Are we still a free people? Are, and, and now, watch what's happening now with this uh, COVID passport thing, vaccination passport. Think about that for a minute. And what does it mean if we're not going to be able to function as Americans, if we haven't been vaccinated, if we can't show with our passport that we've been vaccinated, it's a it's all about isolating us. And by the way, it's not just conservatives that are not vaccinated. There are plenty of liberals that, that don't want the vaccination either. But you stop and think about this. What that's doing is it's setting us up 
to divide this country. It's another division in this country. Sam, you tell me. You're a you're a student of history. You tell me where does this end? Where does this go? That we're willing to accept these things that if we sat down beforehand and said this is going to happen, what would we have said? We would have said, no, sir. We're not going to let that happen. We're not going to do that. Well, we've done it. We've accepted this Marxist agenda, which is shutting things down, but also getting us to do, to be, to live in fear. And that's what I think is is most problematic. We're well, doing things because of our fear. We are, and uh, I, I'm an optimist. I see amazing signs of America waking up. So I'll I'll, I'll give you my answer in a moment, but. Uh, you're a great patriot. You've served this nation for decades in and out of uniform. I want to use this opportunity to recognize another patriot, a man who the left is trying to destroy. He's a great supporter of America First. His name is Mike Lindell. At his recent cyber start summit, a crazy leftist tried to beat him up. They chose the wrong guy. He fought back. Please, let's send a message of reinforcement and support to Mike. Please go to his company. They're trying to cancel him. It's MyPillow.com, the inventor of the MyPillow. Call 800-829-8468. Mike is going to give you up to 66% off if you use my name for one of his more than 100 amazing products. He's okay. He's recovered. But let's send him our support. Just one order sends a message that you will not let him be canceled. That's 800-829-8468, mypillow.com, promo code G-O-R-K-A. General, you asked me how I see things put into historic perspective. I I truly believe that America is uh, the greatest nation on God's earth, the only one founded on the principle of individual liberty and freedom. I believe that the big cities, the New Yorks, the Los Angeles, the D.C.s do not represent real America, the, the areas of America that are so derisively called the flyover states. And I think that America is going to bring us back to that shining city on a hill. I think the mandatory vaccinations, the masks will make even apolitical individuals wake up as well. But, but let me turn the, 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 the question back on to you. As a, an American born in America, are you an optimist? We, we've already won. As Christians, we know we've already won. But when it comes to here on earth... Uh, Ronald Reagan turned things around incredibly in the land of my birth. Maggie Thatcher turned things around after awful, awful years of socialism uh, under the Labour Party. Do you maintain uh, an air of optimism given what we've witnessed, not just under the last year and a half here in America, but also in the last eight months when it comes to the standing of our nation? I do. I am am optimistic about it. And uh, as I travel around and I talk to people, it's amazing to me how there are so many people now that uh, have previously sort of been uninvolved in what's happening in the nation. They just uh, they they're satisfied to go to work every day and and watch the ball games on the weekends. But now they're waking up, and you you said it. They're waking up. They're seeing what's happening in this country. And uh, I was uh, in a church in uh, Temecula, California, last weekend. Uh, and, and I was the, the pastor of this church refused to close his church. And now his church has grown exponentially, exponentially, uh, probably quadrupled. And it is because he took a bold stand. And now 
he has people that he is essentially uh, mentoring that are saying, put me in, coach, put me in. And uh, you go back to this whole issue of the men who, if you watch the Loudoun County videos of who's standing up at the the, uh, school board meetings, what do you see there? You see men? No, you see the moms. (laughs) You see the moms. Moms are fired up. So it's not just the men. These women are starting to call for men to be men, for them to find their manhood. And, And... I think that people are waking up, Seb, and I think that uh, it, it, we still got a long ways to go. It's going to be a grind, but I do believe that we this is going to turn this country around. And this is as abysmal as this situation in Afghanistan is. I think it's going to be one more thing that's going to bring down this administration. Uh, at least they won't be reelected. I, I don't believe, and if you look at the poll numbers, it's it sort of substantiates that. But I do believe that Americans are waking up, and we're going to see a turn back to not only to God, but I think we're going to see a turn back to the values that this nation was founding on. Your job, Seb, is to make sure that they know what those values are, and you're doing a pretty good job of it. Thank you kindly, along with America's Mama Bears. God bless America's Mama Bears. Thank you to you, uh, General Boykin. Follow this man at Jen Boykin on Twitter, B-O-Y-K-A-N, at Jen Boykin. The book is Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Changing World. Last question to you, sir, if I may. What is your message to the millions of people listening and uh, watching our one-to-one interview? What is your message to those who've lost hope, especially after last November, what do you say to those who say America's done and they've just given up? Yeah, that get over it. <laughs> get over it. We we were look. We have the ability to change things here if we're willing to get involved and engaged. The most fundamental thing that our founding fathers gave us was the right to choose our own leadership. We made a bad choice in November. Turn it around now and get people. And I'm not just talking about the president. I'm talking about get involved in the electoral process. Get involved in the school boards. Get involved in in anything that you can get involved in that will make a difference in, in your city, your county, your municipality. Get involved. But don't sit on the sidelines any longer. It's up to us. We can make that difference. We've done it before with much, much harder challenges and much, much harder enemies. We will sign out with the words of my former boss, President Donald J. Trump. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield. We will never give in. We will never give up. We will never back down. We will never, ever surrender. My fellow Americans, our movement is far from over. In fact, our fight has only just begun. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.